welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders in the hospitality and restaurant industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's podcast, I'm talking with Matt Gregg-Smith, co-founder and CEO at the Institute of Competitive Socializing, which runs the well-known brand Swingers, Crazy Golfs with locations in London and soon in New York. Matt and I talked about how they're setting a new standard for hospitality experiences, the challenge of growing a business and a team, and much more. So grab, drink, pen, and notebook, and enjoy. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast. Today, I am in London, near Olgate Station, and I'm sitting here with one of the founders of Swingers, Matt. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. I've been very you know, interested coming today because we're going to be talking about experience. We're not going to be talking about bars or mini golf. We're going to be talking about how you create you know, social experiences and how right. actually that's one of the new trends of hospitality you've seen out there. There's, there's axe throwing, there's dart and so on. And I guess that's some of your, your, your competitors that's, that's trying to do some of the same things. So for the people that don't know what, who Matt is and also what Swingers is, because it could be misunderstood with something else. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> and I saw you had a video about that as well, so I thought that was quite cute on the website. How did you end up in hospitality? I sort of found myself in hospitality through a, a strange and probably not very conventional route. My business partner and I, we've been working together for the best part of 18 years now. We started out when we were at university, essentially organizing music events for young people. I was at Manchester and Jeremy, my business partner, he was at Leeds University and we started out essentially doing club night promotions, which is seemingly the way lots of people get into business because it's sort of a business 101. You just need enough money to be able to afford a box of flyers and to be able to pay a DJ and then you could create a club night and you can make some quite good money from it. So we set out, we built this business. We started while we were students and carried on building this business after we left university and it grew and grew and at its peak we were running about 25 events a week and selling about a million tickets a year to young people around the UK. And that came to the attention of a couple of marketing agencies who were interested in acquiring us because we were really good at marketing to young people. We had marketing teams in all these cities around the UK made up of young people who were selling to young people. And because of that, those marketing agencies kind of wanted some of that know-how and acumen. So we chatted to a few and ended up doing a deal with a big communications group called Chime. And they put us into an agency called VCCP, who's a big top five marketing agency. They do campaigns for people like O2 and and the Meerkat on Compare the Market and McLaren and lots of people like that. So we had this really interesting journey that went music promotions into a bit more of a professional advertising and marketing environment. And so when we finished our earnout in the agency, we had this unique kind of oversight of nightlife and brand and experience. And we were looking to do something a bit more entrepreneurial again. And we looked around and we could see that people were craving experiences. They wanted to go out and do something. They didn't just want to eat and drink. And we'd had this idea for 
swingers and we decided to test it with a pop-up so we'd spent a lot of time around these licensed venues clubs and bars but we always said we never wanted to actually own them we liked the fact that you could turn up you could do the promotion and then you could walk away from it and all of the overheads and the costs and all of the headaches that come with owning a venue we didn't have to get involved with them but when the swingers idea came up it was too good to uh, walk away from and that did involve some venue ownership and yeah that's the strange route that took us to where we are today yeah and again just to underline that the, the swingers concept this mini golf that's the kind of experience you're building so all this has gone incredible fast you've gone from having a pop-up venue in shorted to now almost three venues with the one launching in new york is that correct yeah that's right we did a pop-up in at the end of 2014 and early 2015 yeah. in a warehouse in shoreditch we basically had this idea as you said and then we wanted to put it with really good food we felt that when you went to uh, leisure venues normally the food was always a bit of a compromise you'd go to a bowling alley and you could order the in-house food offer and it wouldn't be that great so we wanted to do really great market leading food which is why we work with outside restaurant brands and we wanted to do a really good drinks program so we recruited some great bartenders and we have a really slick cocktail operation and all of these things are wrapped up in a quite immersive theatrical setting so our first swingers venue the pop-up that was in a 7,000 square foot warehouse space and it had a nine hole crazy golf course two bars one of them was themed like a big clubhouse that we built within it and then there were trees and plants so it felt like you were in, in an English country golf club essentially yeah it went amazingly well it was sold out it kind of went viral which is what you always want to happen although that brings with it a few issues of its own like our website crashing and having to deal with a lot of demand but we cracked on and we opened our first permanent site in May 2016. So that was about 13, 14 months after the pop-up had closed. And that had a fantastic start. It's been going for three and a half years now, still trading incredibly well. But about 18 months after that opened in the city, we opened our West End location. Yeah, it's been a, like you say, a quick journey we when we first started out on uh, with our first permanent site we were kind of projecting and we, it was difficult to project because there wasn't really any other businesses doing what we were doing on that scale in that location and we always project what we call sort of realistic conservative and we said we think it will do about five million pounds of turnover a year and we had the very pleasant surprise of it doing nine million pounds a year and then fairly rapidly after we had a second venue which also traded at the same level so it was a strange position to be in having started out expecting to be a five million pound turnover business and then actually some 18 20 months later we were an 18 million pound turnover business yeah that was like kind of hanging on to a runaway train yeah and i guess like you said like there's many businesses that dreams about that but that you said it's almost a bit like there was a bit of luck there as well you could see there was a trend but you didn't understand that was that massive that trend you can you can no i mean i've always found through my career so far there's definitely a big element of being in the right place at the right time and i guess maybe we spotted the opportunity and maximized it luck certainly played a huge part of it i think then it was just the fact that we came along with this crazy golf venue and people thought oh it's called swingers it's got mini golf in it it's going to be a bit cheesy and i think 
in reality, the execution was really good. And so when people walked in through the doors, they kind of went, wow, this is, you know, even my friends and family did this. They went, wow, this is actually really good. It was, the decor was more premium. The service was better. The food was great. And I think it was a really nice position to be in where people could come in with a fairly low expectation and we got to wow them a bit. And as a result of that word spread and we were off to a great start. Yeah, and I looked a bit on the website. It's quite an accessible pricing point as well for when you book. Yeah, we are really conscious that our demographic is really broad. So we're an 18 plus venue, not because of licensing or anything particularly. We just, that was a brand decision from the outset. We wanted to be almost like a playground for adults where you could come and play this nostalgic game, have some good food, have some great drinks and not be surrounded by kids while you were doing it. We wanted it to feel grown up and sophisticated. Yeah, so our demographic goes from 18 years old and we've had people who are 80 plus we had an 80th birthday come in one time they were loving it so there's a huge spectrum of people that come in and you might get a corporate party from somewhere like i don't know goldman sachs where you've got an md who's in their 50s down to an office junior who's just turned 18 so you've got a very broad cross-section and we make sure within our offer that we cater to everybody but yes ultimately we have six or seven thousand people coming through the doors of each venue every week and you do need to be accessible as well it's it's not only you you're um you send your co-founder to the us as well <laughs> yeah jeremy yeah. simmons my co-founder like i said we've been working together for 18 years all the way through our last business and now we're on this swingers ride at the moment and yeah having had a great amount of success in London we started to look at where we might go next and it was a really difficult decision to make and involved lots of careful analysis but our options were either going elsewhere in the UK or going to foreign markets and you know we're a young business we've really been going I don't know if you trace it back to six eight months whatever before the first venue opened four years or so. So with expansion, the amount of effort and time that goes into it, you have limited resource. So we'd love to go and do the rest of the UK and do the US, but we're very conscious that we can only do one thing at this time. And the UK is going through a certain period of, I don't know what you call it, turmoil, yeah, where we don't know exactly what's going to happen as a result of Brexit, what's going to happen to discretionary spends and corporate spends. And then when you look at the US, then there's 13, 14, 15 markets within the one country that we look at and we can tell are also swingers cities, cities where they have a great dating culture, a corporate density, a good public transport network, which means people can stay and have drinks after work, all those sorts of things. And we just had to really weigh up, do we go to the US next or do we go go to the UK? And the US, there's just so much opportunity there. So we've been working on a few leases there actually. We'll be next year able to announce exactly where we're going and in what order but our new york lease was the first lease we signed we're very excited about getting open there and we took on an investor last year who's got a big presence in the us and they're a big part of that expansion um, they came on board because they believed in our strategy and think that there's a huge amount of growth potential it's quite interesting that you know there's that there's others that's looking at the us i know Hawksmore, for example mm-hmm. launching in new yeah, york we know as well who is going over there as well and it's it's interesting you know and you know when you can't find the certainty in your own markets you just need to look at what other potential somewhere else as you say it's probably going to be a stretch it's difficult it's a different market as well but coming back to what is the your plan and is, is that then conquering the us or is it a global mission you're on where you look at 
the map and say this city is ripe for swingers before this city is not so much about countries it's more about the specific location where we have these things like infrastructure corporate life and dating going on yeah we have this kind of unique concept where because it's got crazy golf at its heart combined with food and drink it's got this very universal appeal and you can almost apply it to any country in the world and you can see how it might work in that market obviously some countries may be more challenging than others for various reasons but we look at the US and that's very similar to the UK in lots of is very different in lots of other ways like I said there's a lot of different cities there so there is the potential to go to the US and set up one kind of head office and operate out of lots of cities and you kind of like I say you have to pick your timing and the natural cadence of your business so we're not particularly looking beyond the US at the moment but I'd like to think that time will come and we get people coming to us all the time who either want to franchise our brand or to work with us and very interesting opportunities do come up around the world and if the business is in the right place and our resource levels are in the right place then yeah we would potentially go anywhere if there was a great opportunity there so yeah massive opportunity for this so also coming big about you said it's about the it's about the the experience about the golf it's about having great cocktails and you you touched on the food and i've been in one of your venues once i was a bit surprised that i could see something i could recognize from the high street pizza pilgrim yeah patty and bond so no like things and, and i guess they are operating those units themselves a bit like when you go into a street food market victoria market yeah, and stuff like that and how has that been perceived by you know customers in, in a way that you are not operating the food you have somebody else to do it i think it's been a major part of our success and our offer people really respond well to it like i said when we started out we felt that you often have to compromise on the food when you went to these venues and also we were very aware that we weren't food operators we'd come from an agency and we were not in a position to deliver really really good food and we wanted people to eat the food that they have in our venues and think wow that food is great you know this burger is one of the best burgers I've had so we were in this fortunate position where we knew Joe from Patty and Bun and we knew Tom and James at Pizza Pilgrim so we brought them in for the pop-up customers loved it because you know, you often have to queue up outside those restaurants in order to eat at them. And here we were providing you with multiples of these restaurants so you could have a burger and a pizza and something else. So it just works really well as a, dy a dynamic. We have to curate it quite carefully to make sure that everybody does well. But ultimately, these concessions, they have to supply a couple of chefs. We handle all of the food ordering and we provide them with this kind of ready-made audience of people. And we do lots of corporate groups, they have lots of pre-orders, so they've got great visibility. So for them, it's just a really nice bolt-on for their business. It's not necessarily equivalent to a whole restaurant in its own right, but it's very low maintenance, very easy, and they get to put on nice incremental revenue into their business and be part of the, the swingers experience. It's very interesting approach as well from you know going away a bit away from I always call it the traditional some like sometimes I have been talking about the industry has been stuck in time in the yep. way we are doing things so we are competing against each other not we're not competing together in a way 
and this is a brilliant example i think about like finding a business model together and a shared purpose about serving the, the, the customers and it was weird when we first kind of came out with this model because this was i mean i guess the pop-up which was end of 2014 and there weren't really these street food markets around then they were maybe just starting out so when we said oh we're kind of giving away some of our food revenue to bring in outside operators people said oh you're mad because the industry was used to behaving in a certain way but actually what happened was we make a great profit margin on the food that we're selling through these operators but we get the added benefit of all of their brand equity so it's a really good trade-off and for our customers coming in the fact they get to play crazy golf we'll bring them a cocktail while they're playing and then afterwards they can fill up on patty and bun and pizza pilgrims and hackney gelato and all that sort of thing they get really excited about it i think it's a very good way of showing a new way of you know making systemic change in an in industry that's been a bit you know ground to a way of doing things it was about getting a lot of sites and not working together and actually doing what you're best at do that one thing do that well and that's exactly what we've always been clear on what we're good at and what we're not good at and we were very clear jeremy and i we're not food operators we weren't even bar operators so coming into that we could create experiences and we knew how to market it and we knew how to project manage but we were very clear we need to bring in excellent food operators and excellent bar operators in order to make it all work in that process of scaling a business and I guess now it's going to go really fast with, you know, as soon as overseas expansion hits the, hit the ground. How has that journey been? And it's, it's gone fast, you know. I, I think I read somewhere you had employed about 200 people. Yeah, we have roughly 100 staff in each venue and then we have a head office staff that sits around 40 people. So yeah, it's been crazy. Like I said before, the kind of the runaway train side of things where, you know, we started out a couple of years ago thinking we were going to be relatively small. And, you know, sometimes I walk into the office and I can't believe how many people there are in there. And that's just the UK side of the business. And so now Jeremy's moved to New York. He's kind of the first person in the New York office. He just made his first hire. I'm starting to make some hires. And we have a map of how the business in the US changes over the next couple of years. And, you know, it very quickly becomes the same size and bigger than the UK business, which is quite exciting and quite scary. What has been the, the most difficult? Because, you know, when it goes fast, it's fun. I think that, that's also, you know, struggles on that journey. What, what has your guys' biggest challenge been in, in, in doing this in such a short time and getting the infrastructure in place? One of the challenges is definitely when you start out, you're in startup mode. The type of people that you need when you're in startup mode are quite specific. It's people that maybe are a bit of a jack of all trades. They can roll their sleeves up perhaps don't like being in a particularly corporate structure and that's why they're more drawn to startups. But they're the people that get things done and in those first months and years, they're the people that, you know, really get you to where you need to be. But then the business starts to change and it kind of becomes, I don't know what the next stage after startup is exactly. I call it kind of being a teenager where you start to get a bit more grown up. You start to think about who you are and where you're going. You start to, I don't know, become a bit more corporate. It's difficult to take everybody on that journey 
because you know sometimes the startup people don't necessarily want to work in a corporate or don't necessarily have the skill set to work in that slightly larger more wide-reaching organization so yeah it's that curve that we've been on over the last couple of years has meant that we've gone through the startup phase very quickly and into the more established teenage years and taking everybody on the journey with us and making sure that you have time to build culture and flesh out your vision and take everybody on that ride with you that's that's definitely been an interesting part of it so i guess the purpose for how you set up after the beginning is still the same but it's just scaling that purpose and telling that story how do you do that because that's often in my view when i work with people or talk with people is that that's that's the thing you know we were very clear the team understood where we were going they knew the direction the culture was crystal clear what we didn't expect and you know the people that you got on early really lived that they probably already you know written the book yeah of culture with you and then suddenly that doesn't work anymore how do you do that challenge and now going to a very different culture as the, as the american how do you deal with that because there's probably everybody that scales the business would say yeah, well get the physical thing and the money this all takes time and but in a way can be sorted out if your idea is good enough it's that thing you know the purpose the culture scaling that that really is the challenge that's a very good question and it's a really difficult question to answer i think we've always set out to be a really fair decent nice employer i'm sure there's we haven't always got it right but we ultimately our foundation that we built this business on and having been around the block before building a business we came into this very clear that we wanted to avoid mistakes that we'd made or avoid cultures that we'd seen and so we wanted ultimately this to be a great place for people to work where whether you're coming in as maybe a server or a bartender only for a short period of time or you're building a career with us we want to make sure people are fully trained for their role and they enjoy coming to work and they feel like it's a, a great environment to work in it's difficult to do we make sure we are pretty unstinting in the way we hire we make sure we hire the right personality fit and i think that's more important than experience because i think experience you, you can learn you can be trained but if you don't come in with the right approach outlook ethos then it's never going to work it's just about investing into the business and that's something we haven't always been able to do because we've been moving so fast and opening second venues and all that sort of thing but now something we're really kind of getting a bit more established in we've just taken on our first people director we're starting to really think about training and it's really important for our product because when you come into a swingers you interact with lots of different members of staff whether it's a host a receptionist a server a bartender we want all of those moments to be a great interaction and as such we have to make sure our staff are trained and equipped and fully on board with the swingers vision so yeah in summary i'd say it's about great hiring making sure we do really good training and just clarity of vision explaining to people where we're going and why we're doing it one of the things i often see is that when you go on that journey you start to hire managers you said you're hiring for the personality but what has been important in your journey because everybody does leadership in a different way every organization is different so i've been in different organization i've been from startup up to the big corporate global and there's very different leadership style that's needed it needs these environments 
and either you drive with one or the others. That's that's definitely sure as you said. So so what what are you doing there to make sure that they you know because they're going to be an extension of you. What are you doing there besides you are putting all the right people processes in place that fits with your culture? The key thing for us is about collaboration. We have very clear delineations in this business about who is responsible for what and we work very cohesively and we all sit down together regularly to discuss our plans and where we're going with the business but each individual person is very clear about what their role in that is and they're very much empowered to perform that role so for us we try and get a really good balance of support and guidance but also kind of accountability so we want people to go away do their job come up with good ideas and then it's about having forums and settings where people can talk about this stuff as a group a senior management team or whatever it is we can all get on the same page and kind of agree the strategy overall there's an, a concept from the 70s called the service profit chain and many people when they say it's all about getting the people experience right then the customer experience will be great then loyalty will build there will be repeat customers sales will be great and profit will be good so investors and all shareholders are happy clappy and that's like yeah a trust circle going around and i don't know if that's where you got it from but that that model still works in the service industry and that's what you know what you're saying as well you need to get the right expectations right on every level of your people journey which is is bloody hard yeah and also what i noticed when i did a bit of research on you you are co-ceos and that's you know you hear about that in tech companies and you know more progressive industries if you can say like that that uh, where you know we still in in the hospitality industry sometimes very top-down kind of thing and there's very clear who has which responsibility and, and the title in a way we almost know okay you're the operations right the ceo that's your job so tell me a bit about why did you choose to do that because who's the boss then in the end of the day i don't know if we ever chose to do it it just was a very kind of organic development as i've already said Jeremy and I have worked together a really long time. We had our previous business. We left that knowing that we wanted to do something else and get back to being entrepreneurial. I think in our last business, when we were more of an agency style of business, we both ran it, but we never really separated out what our individual roles were. And so we were kind of account managers, just looking after different accounts and coming together, you know, based on our relationship, we kind of found our way through that dynamic. And then when we came into this business, the complexities of the business and the fact that we were a bit more mature meant that we really started to play to our strengths. And so Jeremy, and I, I kind of describe us a bit like a Venn diagram where we've got a really good overlap, but we've also got areas where we have quite different expertise. So Jeremy's more commercial than I am. So he oversees property, the commercial side of the business, finance, finds all of our sites, oversees the fit outs for those. You know, these are big, big projects. And then I'm on the other side of things, which is more the experience side of things. So all of the brand, PR, marketing, anything that a customer sees, So from when they first see some of our marketing materials, whether it's online or in the real world, through to their experience in the venue, their experience on the website, all of those sorts of things. And then I oversee operations and HR in the business as well. So very much anything to do with the customer touch points. That dynamic works really well for us. We're separate, but we know each other really well. You know, we've worked together for so long. It just works really well as a a dynamic. I think it enables us to bounce off each other really well 
I think it could be incredibly lonely being a CEO of the business and not having that dynamic. Yeah, it's it's never been a question of whether one should be the CEO and one should be something else. I think for us, we know that that's kind of the special source for our relationship and for the business is what happens when the two of us put our heads together. So yeah, we do a lot to preserve it and make sure that we, even now Jeremy's in the US, we still carve out a lot of time in the week for communicating between us and bouncing ideas off each other. Yeah, and I'm actually, I'm all, all for what you say because it's difficult to be a CEO sometimes and be good at all the, all the things you need to be good at if you don't share that. So I've been in a situation where I shared, we shared the tree ray even, which was hard it's like you know the the impossible couple but it definitely created better outcome even though there's a disagreement you know disagreement needs to be happened to make progress exactly i'm a big believer and we definitely do disagree from yeah, time yeah, of course you would. we know each other well enough that we uh managed to come out the other end of the disagreements yeah. unscathed that's a tunnel sometimes you have to walk through exactly so it sounds like you are on the up you're on the wave and uh, there's a lot going on the under the wave if we can use that analogy there's a lot of challenges within the industry especially if you take from a restaurant sector point of view also pop sector what what is your guys view on this you know whole situation as you mentioned brexit and economic uncertainty that will hit every business but the, the the industry has over the last three years been through what i call a perfect storm and probably still in the middle of it figuring out its new identity i think i met an operator the other day that said it's like we are in an identity crisis as an industry and we're trying to figure out where we're going what what have you seen in in, in this journey that's happening and where everybody talks about there's probably more negative story than positive stories i mean i think the on the negative side of things there has been this very clear shift where for a while it was all about very branded experiences and that brand meant that people knew exactly what they were going to get when they went out to a bar or a restaurant they knew the exact product that they were going to um, receive and then there was quite a swift change where suddenly people didn't want that they wanted individuality they wanted to be going somewhere different they very much probably driven by social media people wanted to be seen to be going to different places and not all going to the same place so I think that caused huge problems for the bigger branded chains and I think some of those chains had over expanded too quickly there'd been a lot of private equity funding they'd rolled out and rolled out and probably had lost sight of the product and we came along at a time when that change was happening so we were able to capitalize on some ways by really looking at the authenticity of our product you know working with the food vendors having individually designed venues all that sort of thing but also there is this rise in the experience economy where people are seemingly a bit bored of going out and eating and drinking and again i think social media has played a role in people want to be able to show off what they're doing and venues like ours make it much easier for them to do that than if they're just going to a I don't know, an Italian restaurant or something a bit more conventional. So yeah, the industry has been through a lot of changes and then you put Brexit on top of that. And for us, that definitely has staffing implications. We do a lot of corporate trade and it's kind of unclear what's going to happen to the corporate spend over the next few years. So yeah, there's there's a lot of headwinds and there's lots of bureaucracy that we deal with through alcohol licensing and planning permission and business rates and it's yeah not the easiest time to be in the sector i can't complain too much because we've had a very positive ride through it but it is it is bumpy and the government and 
politicians don't always help. So there is something nice about the fact that we're going to the US and slightly diversifying our risk between two countries rather than having it all all our eggs in one basket. You mentioned something that's very high on the agenda and it's out a lot in the media now. And a couple of years ago, I think maybe two years, a bit more maybe, I, I walked around and called it the silent challenge, the people challenge, not having enough talent. That's been the war of talent. It's been going on in the industry for years and chefs has been a very big thing and now it's impossible to, to find chefs or people who want to work in the kitchen. How do you actually attack that in a way? Because a lot of people are struggling out there right now and say this is the top priority in the business, right? But we just don't know what to invest in. We have all the things, but we just don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, recruitment in some roles has been really, really challenging. And there's been times when we've had important senior roles in the business open for a long, long time. And you definitely see people who could do the job but you know in your heart of hearts they're not the right person to do the job and you have to be really disciplined and you have to hold out and not employ people just because you're desperate to fill the role because it's going to come back and bite you so we hold out we wait and we wait and we wait for the right people and at the same time you just have to build an organization that attracts people and we're lucky that with our concept people see how fun it is they see how strong our brand is and they luckily want to be involved with it and then on the back end you just have to make sure that you're paying really competitively you've got great benefits and you can point to a staff culture that people are going to want to be part of and stay part of so there's definitely been easier times to hire and three and a half years when we were starting out hiring was definitely a lot easier than it is now and we're just having to be much more rigorous all the way across the board about who we are and not only what we're offering to our customers but what we're offering to our staff and that's that's a huge part of the jigsaw I think it's very interesting you said about you know the discipline about it's not about what it's about who we get on board so we will wait for the right person to come board. for a lot of businesses is always about we just need to get that position feel go and fill that position and it will be filled but you know as you said you'll get the wrong person on board you know either not the right fit or from a cultural or skill point of view because you are moving too fast on that and that's actually where you have to have ice in your stomach sometime as a leader as a business to not over recruit the wrong people yeah. because then your culture dilutes in a way I and mean, i think we're lucky because of the natural cadence of the business each swingers is quite a big machine in its own right and we're not opening them at such a rate that we're having to do this kind of mad mad recruitment i know there's certain chains out there who are opening maybe one a month and for them they've got to really have a high volume of people coming into the business for us because there's relatively few of our locations and they're such big machines if you hire the wrong person in uh, anywhere in the kind of upper levels or to be honest anywhere through the business it just has repercussions you know in your heart of hearts that it's not going to work out and you're going to be re-recruiting that role further down the line and there's potentially going to be some damage done in the process so it doesn't seem like it at the time but it's better to hold out and not recruit a bad person you've just got to wait and hold firm hold your nerve how is your recruitment process is that uh, very different than from what others do you think or are you doing this the similar kind of thing with x amount of interviews trial and- nothing wildly different to other people out there we 
brought our recruitment in-house a while ago and that made a massive difference and we have a recruitment manager in our business called Iona and she's incredible and she understands exactly what a swingers staff member looks like so she at the very early stage is kind of screening for personality and attitude then she'll bring them in for interviews and they'll start to meet with different stakeholders within the business and I think what's really key is in those interview processes we sell to the candidate as much as they sell to us because especially in this job market they have to buy into you as much as you buying into them and then it's all the other things that we were talking about about being a good place to work a place that listens and a place that cares about people's careers and that's when you start to get good staff who stay with you so in this challenge there's been a lot of talk about as well about technology and we talk a lot about that on the podcast where people say that you know, some people go down far to say the tech is the saver. I often believe that tech is the one thing that can help you doing some of the heavy, heavy lifting in your, your business. Have tech been part of a cornerstone of scaling your business from, from the outset and be one of those themes you have you have leveraged on like many other businesses are trying now to become more digital? Yeah, tech certainly plays an increasing role in the business. I think on the customer facing side of things, we're not on the face of it high tech, but we We've got various systems, whether it's when you order food within the venues and our ordering system is very simple, but very effective. So you know exactly when your food's ready and you can go and grab it through to go on our Swingers app and you can order food through that and you can score your game. I think one of the big things we've done on the customer side of things is just really harnessing the power of social media. Our venues are very photogenic as it is. We make sure we provide lots of opportunities for people to take photos and then they're marketing your business for you. We have these really cool photo podiums in our venues where we have these 10 camera rigs you stand on the podium and it creates these mp4s branded mp4s for you and we get incredible usage on those it's a value exchange with our customers where we say we'll give you this branded mp4 that you can use on your social media if you give us your data and customers are more than happy with that yeah that's been great for us on the back end we're constantly revising our website we have a huge volume of customers that are interacting with the business and you know whether it's just having questions answered or being able to find out information about events or booking tickets then the website is a crucial part of that journey and if you can get people in a position where they can answer their own questions rather than having to talk to a member of staff that lightens the load likewise lots of businesses use a crm system for managing all of the customer records and what we found on our journey so far is there is no CRM system that caters to crazy golf venues, especially in the way that we operate in that you've got food, drink and golf, and people do those in any order in the venue. So finding a system that kind of cope with that turned out to be impossible. So we're currently building our own CRM system and that will launch very shortly and that will play a huge part in helping us to scale the business as we move forwards. That's very interesting. There's a lot of you know new brands coming up and some of them have like found a tech solution within their business they couldn't find in the old market or they couldn't find a SaaS solution for that and they're now building back like uh, sweet greens in the US if you've probably seen them and you've yeah. been to New York like they have a like they can analyze the supply chain to a blockchain yeah. and McDonald's has been out buying tech companies so there's no doubt about tech is going to be coming a bigger part as you say to solve you know these things about scaling it was interesting what you just said is to help us scale in a way is to take that kind of that uncertainty out of scale by actually knowing your your numbers data we all know is more worth than oil now so super interesting there so i always ask people on the podcasts who are your hero and who gets you out of bed 
every day to do this. Anyone that's kind of weathered the storm and built a business, and when you see founders who've built businesses worth hundreds of million dollars, you know that it doesn't just happen overnight and you know that they've been through so many trials and tribulations in order to get there. But if I was being specific about naming names, I was very lucky recently to meet Danny Meyer in New York from Union Square Hospitality. He obviously has an incredible restaurant group in New York and that's spreading more widely. And he founded Shake Shack. I love his approach to hospitality. It's a very human approach. He thinks exactly about what hospitality means. When I met him, him. He was incredibly nice. Uh, spent an hour with him getting his head around our concept and understanding it and asking all sorts of questions. So I know they say sometimes you shouldn't meet your heroes, but that was a very positive example of when it goes right. Oh, well, we have a shared hero there. I love his book, uh, Setting the Table, which also yeah, is a lot. Essential reading. Essential reading if you're leading in a hospitality experience, a restaurant. That's definitely some things. I, I really liked the, the part of where he sets your job is to set the table. Understand that that it's boring but you have to go and do it every day so what he's saying indirectly is that you set the culture every day and that's your job I couldn't agree more in the end of the box I've always asked people to give like one advice to people either leaders out there in the industry or people who maybe want to start out the business you can take your own angle what is that one advice you will give to people that is a good question so many things spring to mind it's hard to boil it down to one thing it's something that I learned in the advertising agency and then we put into practice and it's something I think about quite a lot because we come into contact with a lot of startups and a lot of people who are starting out on their business journey and it's having the discipline at the outset to really understand understand who is going to engage with your product and why are they going to do it and so when we were in the agency brands it might be an insurance brand were saying I want to create a coffee pop-up and people are going to come to it and they're going to give us their data and then we're going to sell them insurance products Mm. you say yeah I get that I get the theory but why are people going to do that it's a busy world out there where people have huge demands on their time and their attention and why is somebody going to get off their sofa and make a journey and come and drink coffee with an insurance brand it's just not thought through enough you have to think about you know where does the real engagement come from and when we came up with swingers we were very lucky because we hit on this concept which has this very obvious engagement and i probably won't ever work on anything in my lifetime again that has this obvious engagement where it's crazy golf and food and drink and it's just fun and it's appealing and people get it but yeah when I'm talking to people who are maybe starting out and they maybe say I've had I've got this idea what do you think of it it's just about the discipline and the rigor and it's not enough for you to think it's a good idea you have to validate that and you have to take it to a wide audience and you have to do your market research and you have to do your due diligence because if you just go for it and launch without doing some of that kind of thinking then yeah you might be setting yourself up to waste a lot of time and money very interesting when you say there because what i i I spent a bit of time in tech when i arrived in london as well and what i learned there was actually a similar approach it's like that you 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 know you a b test things within your product or in your business so you don't say this is what we are and that's what we're going to go and do you actually find out by putting it out to different sources of information and it's the lean startup model again you know maybe start you start out one place but you find out that your philosophy works in, in other ways. And you might not end up in the place you expected to be, but it's probably going to be a better place. 
because you've actually got a viable proposition. Yeah, and I agree with you. Like a lot of people, they think that's a great idea because in their head it works well, but they haven't got it in a way validated, but also they don't have the patience. They want to build an empire in a day and empires normally takes decades. And often people look at Richard Brands and McDonald's or they have, didn't have them over overnight. Right. They're the exception rather than the norm. Yeah, exactly. And every business is not a unicorn business. Super interesting, uh, Matt, to, to have you here on, on the podcast. And we, we touched a lot of things today. So so thank you so much for taking the time and for it's the Hospitality fun. Mavericks uh, podcast to, to come here. I'm sure that we, we're we going to touch base when you're you're a bit further down the journey and we'll see what's happened with swingers and, and share that, that story. But it seems like you're on a, you're on a ride right now. You're on the wave as we come and hang out with us in the US sometime now we'll, we'll, we'll love to come over and do a podcast maybe we can do like one with you and Danny Meyer and, uh, and play some uh, mini golf I'm in <laughs> I'm in as well good thank you very much thank you Matt for sharing your insights about experience led hospitality entrepreneurship leadership and the challenges of growing a business and a team if you enjoyed today's podcast please give us a like share rate or subscribe to one of our channels thanks to let's talk video production for your help making our podcast amazing also thanks to experience 101 for supporting us getting this out to more movers shakers and mavericks we hope you enjoyed today's hospitality maverick podcast with me michael tingster tune in next time for another industry interview and in the meantime find out more about us and subscribe to our newsletter at hospitalitymavericks.com thanks for listening and be maverick